0: let's get ready for some serious shift. This is a podcast Shifting Inside Out hosted by your quantum shifter, Angie McCourt. We're diving into ways to empower and enable a quantum shift, inspiring topics, hacks, and guest speakers take us on a journey around authenticity, challenging status quo, personal power, and living a purpose-filled life. I am so excited to have Pat Jahant guest on the Shifting Inside Out podcast today. Um, I met Pat probably nine years ago now, maybe a little longer, and she is just such a radiator. She is a total evocator and collaborator and networker, and I model and mention her in my book when I talk about some of those gifts that I've seen her radiate over the years, including co-founding with her the Exploratory Lab Bootcamp, and just watching her really make such an impact in higher education as well as that connection between community business and the higher education organizations. So I'm really excited for Pat to share her journey because it's been an interesting one. It was not one that was planned out. (laughs) And these are some of the best ones to really model and understand that going with the flow of life sometimes is really what will end up driving you. And what she has done so many times in in our exploratory lab boot camp was explain to students how her passion led journey. Journey in her career was what opened doors to things that she never expected to experience from a job perspective, from a skill building perspective, and just being able to have that confidence, as well as the unknowns, and being okay with that in her career and her journey. And so, I really wanted to showcase Pat in this episode because she just has so much great wisdom to share. And I'm super excited that she is finally actually retiring so she can now focus on her many other passion projects. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode as you listen. You can find me on LinkedIn at Angie Belts McCourt on Instagram at Angie underscore McCourt, or on Twitter at McCourt Angie. So without further ado, let's hear from Pat. Pat, welcome to Shifting Inside Out. I am so beyond grateful to have you on this episode. To get started, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Well, Angie, it is it is a pleasure to be here. We've had a lot of fun and excitement together, and you are a um, key part of uh, my career and having lots of fun in my career. Um, but let me start with an introduction. I am uh, recently retired as a um, workforce consultant. Um, I used I did workforce studies in the area. Um, I am a. Um, be- I'm a graduate of uh, Trenton State College, Teachers College in New Jersey with a master's from USF in St. Pete. Um, And you probably wonder with those two degrees how I got into workforce. Well, I'll talk about that a little bit later. But a lot of what I do um, about me is I am a the thing that is most uh, rewarding is that I am a grandmother of two of the most wonderful uh, girls, Maggie and Searsha, two and six years old. Um, they are the love of my life, along with my daughter and her husband. Spent a lot of time traveling and visiting with them. I am also an amateur photographer. Um, And I I get a lot of fun out of taking pictures of both my granddaughters and mostly landscape artists uh, and landscape settings. Um, But one of the things I love most is butterflies. I raise monarch butterflies in my garden. And if you come by, we refer to it as the the yard with the meadow out front. And we have probably... Uh, anywhere from 10 to 20 different species of butterflies out there. But I do bring in the monarchs and raise them in my own little uh, monarch house so that I can see them uh, grow from caterpillars to, uh, into a chrysalis and then uh, uh, bud into a butterfly. And then I release them into the yard.
0: Mm-hmm. And right
1: now I am preparing the house because my granddaughters are coming down and they wanted to know if we, they could see that.
0: And I'd say, I have it
1: all set up ready for you. They'll be here in two weeks. So i got them in all different stages. So we'll be ready for that. But the other thing I do is I do play tennis. So when to um, keep me busy and keep me active, I, I play tennis right now. I'm playing two to three times a week. I um, play competitively. Um, in a league. And uh, last year, during the pandemic, my chore was to run the league, which was, uh, which was a challenge. It's about four to 500 women on 14 teams across Pinellas County. And we had to navigate, besides all the rules that apply to women's tennis, we had to navigate uh, COVID. It was before the shots were out there, And I will say that we navigated um, quite well in that no one uh, reported getting infected with COVID while on the courts. Tennis Mm. was considered a low-risk sport. And, And what I found in that process is that it was one of the few opportunities that the women got together with other people, and they went on outings. So we weren't going to restaurants, we weren't going to church, we weren't going to the office. Everybody was working remotely and we're stuck in the house. And tennis is an outside sport. Um, and I will say that uh, some women came up to me and said, I'm so glad you didn't cancel the league because it, it's it's mental health for me. She said, I would have been gone crazy without it. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the challenge is that we we uh, in engage in in different aspects of our life um but uh tennis is is one of the things i enjoy the most so you know that's that's pretty much who i am pretty positive person um love doing different things um you know love going to the mountains
0: sitting mm-hmm. there
1: love uh uh taking pictures from my my uh deck and i plan to write a book called um um uh uh, uh, black lace and sunsets and it is Mm. pictures from my deck where the trees look like black lace right before the sun sets Mm. and sun rises in the morning and then when the sun rises and sun's over the mountains out there it 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 is it is glorious it's another Mm. world experience so um that's that's
0: what i like to do and that's a little bit about me Very nice. I love it. And I just, I can't, I will help you self publish if you want to self publish your book because I now know how to do that. (laughs) Because I absolutely love your photography and I think you're very talented, even though you call yourself an amateur. Like, I'm (laughs) like, no, no, no. She's definitely more than an amateur. (laughs) Very talented photographer. So that's so awesome. Thank Thank you. And I'm not surprised by your creativity on keeping everybody moving through the pandemic and that many women organized and, and, and whatnot, because you're very skillful at um, really, really driving herds of people in the right direction. So I'm not surprised by you doing that. So very good um, for everyone there. So I have a few quick round questions just to um, kind of get the audience to know you a little bit better. Um, so the first question is, what is your morning ritual?
1: My morning ritual is, um, before I get out of bed every morning, I begin with a prayer of gratitude, thanking uh, God for the day I've had and, um, you know, focus on hoping that I could live a good life um, in his image for that day. Uh, then I, because I think gratitude, waking up and being grateful for what you have and, 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 mm-hmm each day is important mm-hmm. to, uh, focus, allow you to focus on the important things in the day. Yeah. Um, I, I also then, um, if I'm going to play tennis, I will do about 20 minutes of yoga mm-hmm. to stretch out so that I can run for that overhead behind my partner and, mm-hmm. uh, get it back on the other side. Um, I will then go out and, uh, every morning I, uh, kiss my husband, good morning, Um, and I kiss him goodnight every night and tell him Mm -hmm. I love him. And I learned that when I got married to my husband, um, uh, it's been 43 years, his mother said to us as advice, she said, never go to bed mad, always kiss kiss each other and say you love each other in the morning and at night. Mm -hmm. And I have done that for 43 years. Even when I was, if I was mad, I did it anyway. And the minute I did it, I wasn't so mad anymore. Yep. <laughs> so. <laughs> so my mother in law was a uh, a good uh, a mentor in that regard. And then I have my cappuccino, <laughs> and then mm. once I have my cup of cappuccino, and I sit and read the paper and enjoy my cappuccino, I am good to go for for the day.
0: Oh, fantastic! I love it. So you're very busy. Um, even though you're so-called retired which I'm sure we'll get into that um, how do you renew your energy so renewing my energy that
1: that's an interesting uh, question because I think um, it's important to make sure you know how you do this mm-hmm. and and I I like to exercise so I like to to renew my energy if I'm not playing tennis which always gets renews the endorphins get built up and 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 I you know, I get the energy to go on to the next task after I've done that. I will, um, if I'm not playing tennis, I, I since the pandemic, we bought bikes. Mm-hmm. I get on my bike. I bought a backpack thing for my bike so that I could take my camera with me. Mm-hmm. And I ride either downtown around the pier Um, or I go to sawgrass and I watch, there's a gopher turtle that has a nest there that you can go watch. And sometimes she's at the front of the nest and sometimes she isn't, but there's always the thing about having a camera and looking at the things around you to that, that I generate energy. Mm -hmm. It is that the same scene can look different each day based on lighting on who's there, what do the trees look like? You know, they change. It changes every day. So it's, you, I, I get energy from looking at the beauty around me. If I'm not in town, I am in North Carolina generating, sitting on the deck. If, if I need, um, uh, we recently went through a, a pretty tyrannic thing in the family. And after it was all over, we went to North Carolina. I sat on the deck and for three days, I sat and looked out at the scenery and I took my camera and I, I took pictures of the light as it moved across the mountain. Mm-hmm. And you look at those pictures. It is an amazing thing to see what you see out there because mm-hmm. I get the energy from what I'm seeing, the beauty of it. And when you take a picture, you're taking a picture is an image of a point in time that will never happen again mm-hmm. because of the lighting, because of mm-hmm. just the texture, because of all the things that are around there. And yeah. that renews my energy to realize, the, I, to see the world around me more um, openly. And, and, it, and it relaxes me. And mm-hmm. once I become relaxed and energized, I see more opportunity. I see more things that I can do. I actually, um, as I said, I'm an amateur photographer. I took my pictures to get developed uh, down to uh, a professional place down in St. Pete. And when I went to pick them up, the I mean, these are all professional photographers. These are people that have been in the industry. The guy handed me the envelope and he said, these pictures are really good. They're very clear and crisp. And I said, oh, Thank you so much. And I went out into the car, and I went. He liked my pictures. He liked my pictures. So I said to myself, "Oh maybe you're a good photographer." So I, I you know, I, you get energy again. That gives me that kind of stuff. Gives me energy um, to go forward. And I think it's important to find i, I um, to find that thing mm-hmm. that you can do for you that
0: mm-hmm.
1: energy. And and I will say that photography, I mean I have one super duper camera that I spent a lot of money on that I had to get insured. I don't mm. I'm <laughs> afraid to use it. And I then I got myself one that I actually put in my backpack and take around with me a smaller camera. But taking photographs and then looking at them Mm -hmm. and contemplating what you're looking at is, is I I find incredibly relaxing. And you know, with cameras to these days, they do so much that you don't, you can have a lot of fun with them too. Oh,
0: that's awesome. I love it.
1: Okay. So what is your guilty pleasure? My guilty pleasure is enjoying a warm cappuccino. Which I found on my recent diet is a good thing when I have cappuccino with non fat milk, that it's a mm-hmm. healthy drink. So I was very okay. happy to hear that. <laughs> and so I love having a cappuccino with my daughter in New York City where she lives. I love mm-hmm. having a cappuccino in the mountains with my friends at tennis. Is just one of those. Rituals that mm-hmm. I drink it slowly, and I will tell you that I am drinking one right now. I am <laughs> all to- right. That's awesome. Right now because it's calming, and it is mm-hmm. just, it just,
0: I don't know. I like it. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love it. I love it. It's so nice when you find something or multiple things that you can alternate and rotate that give you that comfort, that give you that zone to be in, which is amazing. Yeah. All right. So. I um, am so happy to have you on this episode because it's interesting um, how so many people are going through major shifts right now. Um, They're going through loss of identity with their company or with their job. They're going through new paths that they're maybe afraid to take, that they want to take. They're going through... Um, changes that they've never had to necessarily navigate through before in career and life. And I look at this in a positive way, like this is an opening. This is something that is going to allow them to shape their life the way they want it to shape. But a lot of times people have had an expectation of a certain path they've been on or others have had an expectation of them. And so we're kind of stuck in this, should I be disappointed that this is happening or should I be grateful that this is happening? Right. And how do we, you know, kind of navigate through the unknowns and the you know unpredictability in our and uncertainty in our lives? And I just wanted to bring your story in because you have such an amazing journey of having navigated the good, the bad, the ugly, and you know making life the way you want to make it and, and taking opportunities the way you want to take them. And so I would love for you to share your journey, if you would.
1: So my journey does not fit nicely into a box. Right. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> um, when I try to fit myself into the box of that uh, was expected of me, uh, I was miserable and probably would have failed because I didn't really stay there too long. Um, my I used to think my career was more like a playing pinball where I was going bing, bing, back and forth, back and forth to a, a variety of different careers. Well, but when I started, when I met Angie, um, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but we started doing a program together and part of that program was to talk about careers. And I did a retrospective of my career for part of that and I realized I didn't have a pinball like career. I had a passion driven career. I looked for um, because my and the reason I I always thought I was doing it the wrong way because my peers were all they got accounting degrees they became accountants they were lawyer they got a lawyer degree they became a lawyer they all did I got a teaching degree and when I got done with my student teaching I found out I hate this <laughs> I, I'm not good I I. It's not that I hated it. I actually liked it. I enjoyed my student teaching experience, but the school did not enjoy what I did. And I came into it thinking that um, it, you know, here's the curriculum. I was te- so my student teaching, I was supposed to teach the Articles of Confederation. Now who, anybody on the podcast remember Articles of Confederation? Probably not, because we didn't use it. It was the first form of government we used in this country. And then we moved to the Constitution. And my job was to teach the kids about this. And the one kid said to uh, to me, finally, if we didn't do it, if we threw it out, why do we have to learn it? And I said, so you'll understand uh, the Constitution. And when we started talking about the Constitution, we started talking about freedom of speech. And then we... St- the kids, and I said, where do you see freedom of speech? And we started talking about it. Long story short, instead of teaching the curriculum accordingly, according to what was scripted for me, I ended up uh, bringing into the classroom a document, uh, of. I, and I did my student teaching in New Jersey, of students' rights and responsibilities in, in the New Jersey school system. That led the students to understand the Constitution, where they had freedom of speech and they had other freedoms guaranteed to them. And and it led to them um, putting together a petition to get them in to allow them, uh, 13 year olds, to see R rated movies. (laughs) And the petition was written by uh, one of the students' father, who was a lawyer. We reviewed the rules and the Mm. students' rights and responsibilities, how you did this. And they followed them to the T. And this is when I was supposed to be being supervised in the classroom, but the teacher never came. (laughs) And now all of a sudden she shows up in the classroom and says, Pat, what are you doing? I said, well, we're we're learning about freedom of speech and rights and responsibilities of citizenship. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, this was not part of the curriculum. Where did you get, you know, and I tried to explain what I was doing. And she said, well, we're, you're going to have to get back to the curriculum. And a fortunate, unfortunate, um, that was on a Friday. And the next Monday, uh, there was an epidemic of spiral meningitis at my college, which hmm. shut down the entire college. And I never finished my student teaching experience. Hmm. And the teacher's feedback on my um, uh, teaching skills was mediocre. And she never was in the classroom. And I realized to myself, there are too many rules. Mm-hmm. I, 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 there's, I cannot, that is not a comfortable role for me. So I loved history. I loved working with the students, but I knew that was not going to happen. And, and I, at the same time, I was taking a class on um, how to teach history. And I'm going mm-hmm. into the teacher and I said to her, Dr. Helen McCracken Carpenter was her name. Um, I have no idea why I remember her name. <laughs> that actually was 1971 when I was doing this. <laughs> but of the names, I can't remember the person I met on Monday, but I can remember her name. Anyway, she, I, I, But it's the advice she gave me. The response to my question, when, oh, I'm, when are you going to teach me how to teach history? And she said, oh, I'm not going to teach you that. I'm going to teach you how to think. I'm going to teach you how to find the answers because you're never going to know everything you need to know. You're mm-hmm. never going to know the answer to every question you're asked. You have to know how to find the answers. That's what I'm teaching you. Mm-hmm. And I I thought to myself at the time, well, that doesn't mean anything, but in fact, it meant everything. Mm-hmm. It's That's insane. why you
0: remembered her name.
1: <laughs> That's why I remembered her name. It was everything. I always have to think so. My career path, my degree, while it was considered a liberal arts degree, it taught me to think, research, find answers. And using that skill, that's how I crafted my passion-driven career because I was always looking for whatever job I got. It was, what's you know, look for how to make it better. What what are we doing? How are we doing it? Who are we doing it with? Analyzing how it worked, and then if there were things that could be made better, I'd make recommendations and do that. Um, it's not quite an easy path because not everybody always agrees with you. But <laughs> um, I so when I graduated after deciding uh, that teaching is not the path I wanted to pursue. Now I graduated in 19, from college in 1970. Oh, wait a minute. I graduated from college in 1971. So I was in... Oh, I'm aging myself even more. I had Helen... Yeah, so I graduated in 76. So in 76, women graduated. Most women were expected to be teachers, nurses, social workers, accountants. You could be accountants. And you could be lawyers if you wanted to, but it was going to be a tough road to hoe. Women, I was still in what they thought were traditional women's roles. Um, So I had no plan when I graduated from college. But looking back, um, the way I created, crafted my uh, passion-driven career, I actually followed four principles. And I'm going to highlight those today. And the four principles are know yourself know who you are, what you want, what what your skills are. What do you like to do? Where is your passion for something? What, you know, can you become an accountant if you don't want to sit there and run the numbers every day? That was a career that was suggested to me. And I thought, oh, that, I, I would have died if I was an accountant. <laughs> Plus, I'm not good at math, which would have been another problem. But, you know, so somebody said it doesn't matter. You have a calculator. And I'm thinking, no, no, no. So know who you are. Learn new things. And I don't mean just taking a course and, you know, learning a couple of new things. I mean, exploring many avenues about yourself, who you are, exploring different options with, you know, of knowledge, just be open to anything and then work collaboratively. We never succeed alone. There isn't a person who succeeds. I mean, some of my best times uh, in my career, Angie is part of what I think is the best successful thing I've ever done and had the biggest impact, but I never would have done it without Angie. And, And so we are always must be collaborative. And then the fourth principle is future oriented. Focus on the look to the future for the opportunities that you can pursue based on what you've learned and what you know about yourself. So those are, that's kind of a, a a summary of my career. And, um, I can just go right into the talking about the principles. Yeah. Why
0: don't you share a little bit? I would love for you to share about your it director role. (laughs) Uh. And some of the, some of the, the navigation you did there and just the, you know, putting yourself out there and not necessarily being an expert, but becoming one. That's, that is a study in a a passion
1: driven career. (laughs) Um, so I was working at the juvenile welfare board and, um, three quarters of the employees were social workers. And, and I have to say, um, The client side of the social work business was not, I wasn't good at. So I stayed on the program and research side. And so in my capacity, I I kept trying to to push the company to get more information. We need more data. We need to use tools. We need to use computers to analyze stuff. (laughs) And you need to give them to me because I'll figure it out. Um, I I introduced them to mapping software back in 98. Software MapInfo and uh, GIS systems were just coming into play. And so I was exploring, experimenting with that. I was experimenting, trying to get them to buy Excel, but they got me MultiPlan instead. They said, here, MultiPlan is the software you need. And MultiPlan didn't even expand columns. So I am now trying to learn how technology to get through technology, to try to bring the company, introduce to the company more data. And so I volunteered uh, to be, they decided that we needed to upgrade our infrastructure, which was a server sitting in somebody's office (laughs) that was not locked on the floor. And she put her coffee on top of the server. (laughs) Even I knew that was a problem. And I wasn't even... In the IT supposed department, right? And <laughs> one night we were all working off the server and we used to, you know, God love them. We, we had um, disabled workers come in doing the cleaning and all of a sudden the entire network went down and everybody was working late on a project and you hear screams across the, the, the office. I go in and there is one of the workers unplugged the main plug to the server took down the entire network because he needed to vacuum that room. (laughs) (laughs) And so we then, there's nothing I could do. And it took 30 to 45 minutes to recycle and bring the computer back on. And I told the guy, you have to put your plug over here, you know? And, and so I was more of a a leader in uh, addressing some of the issues. So then when we decided to put the tech team together, I got on the team, and um, uh, in the end, I was the only one that understood what the consultant said. I'm the only one that could read and translate the plan for the executive director, who uh, was a wonderful individual and trusted me um, uh, a great deal, and ended up saying that, and then the consultant who recommended this transition plan used me to communicate back and forth to everybody and and they recommended that I that I be the new IT director over the woman who oversaw the server. And because we were getting rid of that server, so we weren't going to be using that server. So I ended up getting the IT job with a liberal arts master's degree in social science education. And my my credentials were that I could communicate that I mm-hmm. share that I could explain to different parties what they needed to do to implement this new system. And in my status as an IT director in government work it's all about making the presentation to the board and getting for money and getting approved. I was batting a thousand when I left after 14 years of always getting the money that I needed for the technology that we wanted to implement because I had, was able to use my liberal arts skills of communication to negotiate between all parties and clarify um, what the issue was. But there was a, that the problem was that I, well, not the problem. I also, in the beginning, I hired good people. I hired network administrator and a database administrator and a, and a team Uh, The network and database administrator were certified in everything. Um, They had skills, they had talent, but they couldn't communicate. Um, And one perfect example of why I was the IT director and they were not is when we implemented Citrix and our printers didn't work. And our printers didn't print only certain fonts. (laughs) we, We narrowed it down to a font issue. And I said to the database, uh, the network administrator, I said, now figure out what we have to do to make a print that font. Because for some reason, this one person only wanted documents with that font. <laughs> three months. <laughs> and for three months, I was getting beaten down by everybody of why can't you do this? And I waited, I kept working <clears throat> guy to say, and finally I said, all right, we, we, and we had a lot of other problems that we were dealing with. So finally, this was the only thing on the checklist. And I said, well, get the vendor on the phone. And he said, we have, I said, get them on the phone right now. And I'm going to talk to them. And the network administrator starts explaining the, the, the problem. And I, I just shut, cut him off. And I never, I never did that. I said, here's the problem. It doesn't print this one font. And the woman said, oh, you just have to update your font library. <laughs> and the network administrator said to me, it's not in the manual. And I said, I don't care. That's why you talk to the people and you define the problem. I said, so we went and he updated it and we never had the problem again. And so that's why I became the IT director. But my the problem was I innovated a little bit more than a lot of people wanted. Mm We had a state of the art network. We were secured. We were at a data center. When the power went out, we could run everything, including the phone system, at a peak ten data center in Tampa.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No one knew nothing was on site anymore. Everything was over in the data center. Um, but then they decided that's not what they wanted. Um, and and um, I decided that it was getting very tense and I started looking for another job. The problem I ran into is now I am an IT director with, uh, at the time, 10 to 12 years experience Running and I could tell you, I could explain the entire network. However, what I did not do is I did not get certified in any of the software. And I did, I took classes, but I didn't take the certification test and pay for that. I paid for that for my my staff to do that, Um, which I will say made them very marketable. And they left, and so I had to (laughs) replace a number of times. But I I believed in supporting Mm -hmm. my. I believe in and making them uh, tag, you know, improving their talents. And so it, it just became a situation where I am now, uh, I got a lot of my jobs by, so of the jobs I had, I only applied for two of the 14 jobs I had. I negotiated my way into all the jo- other 12 jobs that I had, which included this IT job. So now I was trying to get into the business industry and i realized there was a difference in government and the creativity that i was afforded under the executive director that hired me he gave me a lot of latitude he left and a new person came in they didn't want to give me as much latitude and i found in business there wasn't as there wasn't that much latitude either but your it was all about your credentials and i didn't have them so now I am 58 years old, and I had to decide, what, what am I going to do? While I was at, the, at, while I was at uh, JWB as part of the IT, I networked with tech people throughout Tampa Bay. I knew my staff would say, oh, you can, we can't go with you anywhere where you don't know somebody. And I thought, I didn't think I knew that many people. But when you're looking for a job... You find out how many people you do know and how many of those people that you know are really nice. And I had a, a, a network of people um, that were very helpful and um, basically told me, yeah, well, you have to start over, Pat. You have to start in a different position. You're not going to get an IT director. You're not going to get any director position. Here's what you're going to have to do. And I thought to myself, I didn't want to do that. So I thought, now what am I going to do? So I stayed at JWB a little bit longer. and. I ended up, long story short, they removed me from the position of IT and said this project that I had developed, uh, SAMIS it was called, the database, um, it it was quite a unique collaborative of six Florida counties. And to get Florida counties to do anything collaboratively um, is pretty unique. I worked with some outstanding individuals in a lot of counties on the East Coast and we created a client information system that um, client information system that managed two billion dollars in state funding. That mm. if you wanted to know where that state funding went, it was pull a report. Mm. It was seamless, and the numbers could be compared across the six counties. We could look at all the financial data. You could find the paperwork. Everything one hundred percent electronic system. And it was all housed at P-10. It was at a data center. It was secured so that when Pinellas County had to evacuate for a hurricane, um, the system would stay up. When Fort Lauderdale and Palm Beach had to evacuate in Martin County, the system stayed up. That agencies could fund, um, they could transfer funding to agencies uh, post-hurricane so that money could flow into the bank accounts of the not-for-profits. It was an amazing system and it was so fun to work on. It took, um, worked on it for 12 years. And then when they said, that's all you have to do and now you're going to work from home, it became very clear that working from home, my energy came from uh, working and collaborating with others. It came from working and collaborating, even though I was on the phone with the people on the Samus project, We did a lot of face-to-face meetings. We traveled and got together. And all of a sudden, you know, this passion-driven career that I was thinking I was on a high when I was the IT director. It was so fun. There was so much energy in the staff and what we were doing. Um, It was great fun. Um, And that, that I decided, I said to my husband, all right, this is not me. I cannot do this any longer. And after six months, I um, uh, turned in my resignation and went to a meeting and turned in my resignation face to face. I'd already talked to some people about it and said, "I'm leaving. I I love working with you guys, but I cannot do this. This is not fun. Um, it's draining emotionally. I was so damaged from uh, you know working at the last couple of years at uh, the pre- at JWB." that, that it was more than I could handle. And I was really had no confidence in myself. And I thought, okay, now what am I going to do? You know, uh, uh, I'll just quit. I'll leave and I'll just play tennis. And I thought, ah, that'll be fun. And so um, on my way home from resigning, I got a phone call from uh, my friend, Deb, who called me and said, look, I know you've been looking for a job and I know you like what you're doing, but I got this uh, job that somebody's looking for somebody to do a workforce talent gap study for them. Um, would you be interested? And I said, "Well, funny, yes, I would." <laughs> I said, "I told her I just quit, and I was ready." And she said to me, "And she, and, and Deb had been uh, somebody who'd been um, a friend of mine, a, a good mentor, and a friend uh, through the tech industry. She used to run Peak Ten, and so we she introduced me to a lot of people." And when she gave me this uh, opportunity, I thought, all right, this is networking. This is how it works. And I am indebted to her for it because it created the next shift in my life, in my career. Mm -hmm. I now had an opportunity. I went in and and met with um, the gentleman who was hiring me. Uh, And I I just sat there and he, he told me what the job was. And I looked at him and I said, look, I can do this job for you. I said, I have hired and I, you know, this is what I was born to do. And I convinced him to let me do a talent gap study. And after an hour and a half interview, I walked out. I was in the towers in downtown Tampa. I walked out of that building and said to myself, how are you going to do this? (laughs) what's your plan here, Pat? Get a plan quick, because this isn't, you know, you don't know these people. They don't really know you, you know, you've just convinced them you could do it. And I sat down and I um, calmed myself down and I sat down and I got a piece of paper out and I started doing what I always do. When I have an idea, I started drafting the idea and I came up with the idea. Um, I said to him, uh, uh, Actually, in the interview, I actually presented this. I drafted it before I got there. You know, I said, how are you going I said, I need to interview people. I need to do an online survey. I need to do a survey. And then I need to do focus groups. So I'm going to take the input I get, and we're going to do a focus group on it. And then we're going to do a report that outlines what they said. Now, this is where my uh, independence and creativity... Kind of butt heads with the people that hired me. They said, All we want to know are the number of technical jobs open. I said, Okay. So I thought, That's good. And then I started interviewing people. And when I interviewed people, I said, I interviewed um, uh, Hanneke Design. And they said to me, They need software developers. And I said, Tell me what skill set you need your software developers to have other mm-hmm. than you need them to have what what software He goes I don't care He said I can teach them software Send me a um, uh, you know send me musicians and a music major, somebody can score music. I'll teach them programming. Send me somebody willing to learn. I'll teach them what I need to know. Send me people who are smart and creative that can think. And I will teach them what I need to know. So when I ended at the end of this report, the report said, here is a list of all the jobs that were open on the day I, I asked them. You know, they filled out the survey, which was a five-month period. So within the last five months, these jobs were open. That was almost meaningless because it wasn't about the jobs. It was mm-hmm. how you fill the jobs. And I decided that, you know, this is a five-month gig. And in the end, my name goes on the report and I need I need to make a difference here. And I said, it's not about the job. It's about finding the talent. And instead of going to the software engineering schools, you need to go to the psychology departments where you get the people who know how to do analytics and do business and and bring them into business analytics and start, uh, because that was a skill set they were looking for. Bring us the musicians, bring us people who understood foreign languages. Those were the skills that they were looking for that they said they could translate because the software itself changed so frequently and updated that what they learned in school was not as current and it wasn't the methodology that they were using in the workforce. So my job was to say, This is what they're looking for. And my report, when I was done, I was very excited about my report. I was very proud of my report. And one of the recommendations in that report was to go into colleges and high schools to start broadening um, the talent development by exposing students to different career options, to do career exploration, to show them what... Identify what skills and passions they had and show them that they can use them in a different way than they might think they can. And that turned into the exploratory lab boot camp that you mm-hmm. and I did together. But when my report was submitted, it sat on the shelf because they sat there and said, We only wanted to know the jobs. And I thought, okay, I had some great recommendations. And um, then I was. That job led to me networking with the Tampa Bay Technology Forum. And they said, you know, we like your recommendations. We want you to come over here and start working on these recommendations. And when we published the report, I get a call from a woman who I didn't know, an email that said, I'd like to talk to you about this report. I'm doing something for Girls Inc. Oh, my name is Angie McCourt, and I work for <laughs> Tech Data." And I thought, wow, this is what, what an opportunity. This is like such an opportunity that I was again sitting there. She's in corporate world. What am I going to say to Angie? How am I going to deliver this message to her? And it took me 45 minutes into the, to the luncheon to say, you know, I got this idea. And she said, I like that idea. And by the end of the, the luncheon, we had a plan to move forward to explore an idea that matched both of our passions intersected at that luncheon. And we said, <laughs> we love this idea. This is the way to do it. And I thought, OK, here is shift the next shift, because now I have just shifted away from because the TBTF job was temporary as well. When that ended, uh, I was, what am I going to do? And I think that's when Angie and I started to work on the exploratory lab uh, uh, project. Yes. And I to, just to put it all together, that if I had not been an IT director, if I had not taken the risk and asked to do a job that I really wasn't qualified for because I didn't have the certifications, and if I didn't, handle the job the way I did, I would not have learned the skills of communicating with tech people to understand. I knew what my tech people could do, and I knew where their communications skills lacked. But I also knew when I talked to, networked with the different people, I understood what the needs were. And I was able to, while that information when I was the IT director was not applicable to my job, it was information that I learned and I gathered. I I learned it and I applied it at a later date.
0: So it's, it helped me make the shift into the X labs. Yes. And that, I think that lunch, I still remember that lunch, by the way, because it was amazing for me. Um, That lunch was like nine and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. If I remember correctly, I think it was like nine and a half years because we ended up doing 10 boot camps over eight years, I guess it was. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the thing when you talk about passion led career. The, the reason I was like there with you in that lunch was your passion for this. It was, I've tried to go talk to the colleges and universities. And while the leadership wants to integrate into the first two years, critical thinking skills and, and some of these other skills that the business was asking for, the the faculty was like tenured and they didn't want to change anything they were doing. So they weren't going to put anything in place. So You came back to the drawing table, like, I still believe in this. There is a way we can do this. There is something we can do here. And your passion is infectious. (laughs) So the way you influence people through not only having that expertise and the experience, but the vision because you're in my book of an evocator for sure. Like you have the big vision. You can see way out and way around and how things need to, to move. And your collaborator skills are like incredible when it comes to presenting your ideas, getting people on board networking. And over the years, like you would bring so many different people to the table of, Supporting, you know, X Labs, and I'm like, how does she even know all these people? (laughs) So I think it's just been brilliant um, how you've made those shifts and how you've tackled things that, you know, you didn't know where it was going to go either. You just said, I, you know, I'm going to do a good job at this, and then you realized how important this was and that this was a huge area of opportunity to make an impact and to, you know, take and and your passion grew from that. And it grew into, there is something big that we can do here. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find it's just brilliant. And I, and I just so appreciate your journey and your journey though. Have there ever been challenges where you had to basically say, I'm on this path. I think it's the right path, but I got to stop and, and make a decision here and change other than the IT director job, um, personal integration into the career, you know, what what has happened in your journey along the way in that regard? Well, you know,
1: there are, um, there, there's actually a number of opportun- things that occurred, um, but I think the, mo- the, the most recent one is, um, you know, I have over the last five years, while I was doing the X-Labs, I was always already, I was doing um, workforce consulting uh, with my, my pals in uh, St. Lucie County. And, I, you know, I, I met my match in somebody who was enthusiastic and passion driven um, in the economic development area. Uh, Pete Tesh and we we um, he hired me to do three studies over there and that community I tell you it's a booming community it is so nice um, and I loved I loved the work I was doing with them um, but I will tell you that every shift with every shift comes something and I had to make decisions. Um, several times in my life and 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 I guess let me tell you that before I tell you the with the EDC let me tell you about an early shift that I made um because this will resonate more with uh you know parents hmm. when i was my daughter my beloved daughter was 4 i was so excited i applied for a job at a promotion. It was a big promotion. I was going to get a big raise, but I was going to have to work on Thursday nights and run community forums, which I was going to love. I just loved the job. I knew I was perfect for the job. And so I went through all the interviews and I knew the next day they were going to tell me I got the job. And that night I say to my daughter, as she's sitting there eating her spaghetti, shoving it in her mouth, I say, You know, Aaron, I'm going to get this job. And, but I'm not going to be home on Thursday night. She'll be home just with dad. He'll put you to bed. And she looked at me and she said, so you mean you won't spend three and a half hours a day with me? And I thought to myself, what does that mean? How does a three and a half, four year old know how to tell time? Well, in fact, I spent three and a half hours a day with her. She woke up at seven. We brought her to, she got to preschool by eight. I picked her up at five. She was in bed by 7, 7.30. And I sat there and I went in the next day and I said, I can't take the job. I can't take the job. Um, And it's been like 32 years and I still tear up when I tell the story because that moment I knew I had to be a mother, not a career. That I I had to, I and people were mad at me when I didn't take the job, Mm -hmm. and I said to myself that you know that was knowing yourself, and that was a shift from being the one that had to you know to just move forward. Um, But it was the best thing, uh, best decision I ever made, you know, because then I actually uh, everybody who got that job got fired, so. I wouldn't have been the IT director and none of this other, the, the career path, all the other shifts I made were, were, would not have been available to me. Yeah. Right? So yeah. making that, and it, and I will tell you, it was not at all a hard choice, but it was a realization inside that that's, was the right thing to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And now I come to the, to the future, right now, current, the present because I am in another shift.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I am moving from working for people. Uh, my friend Pete Tesh, and I've worked, as I was saying, I worked for him for five years working, and I've had more fun doing that. I've had more fun doing the exploratory labs. But both of these programs, both of these efforts, have come to a, a point in the road where I've had to decide to make a shift. I've had some. Uh, Personal challenges recently. My my little brother was very sick, um, and we navigated him through a very very difficult health situation, and uh, he is alive and well. And uh, he his chances were very low when we started, and the fact that he's alive is a blessing beyond belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I realized that what is it I've been doing, working for, for the, you know, I've been working for people. I've been doing my, I've been following a passionate career. I've I've loved what I've done, but now all of a sudden I realized there are other things that I'm, that have been in the back of my head that I've wanted to try. Mm -hmm. I want, I want to photograph the Northern lights. And I have been talking about that for five years as long as my friends have been saying I've been talking about well I'm going to retire I mean I think I told Angie I think I told you <laughs> after next uh, lab six that yeah you're retiring next year <laughs> so, and, and as my friend said you've been saying that for five years Pat. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and every time I go in to talk to the financial analyst he said have uh, you decided to retire or is that still next year and i go oh it's next year and because I, I think I was afraid. I think it was great to make the shift because what I've I've been working my whole life. Mm-hmm. But what have I been working for? <clears throat> and and I thought, so I this is new, as I told Angie when we started talking about doing this podcast. I said, okay, I have a different bed. It's I'm now shifting to the next phase. Mm-hmm. And it is getting my camera and photographing the northern lights. I have been and, and it's been a month. And I'm still in a little bit of turmoil. It's still real scary because it's like any new job. You have to figure out what, what's the flow. Mm-hmm. You know, do I need a list of things to do now that I'm not working? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I do. Because that's I, I need to organize myself. Because mm-hmm. I'm not just sitting here eating bonbons. It's not just I want to watch you know, A&E movies. I want to photograph the Northern Lights. I want to photograph my absolutely gorgeous granddaughters, but I don't, I want to, it's, it's capturing the moment. Mm. It's not just taking the picture. It's capturing Mm. the moment. And to do that, you have to be there. You have to bring yourself to it. And I have to be able to, I am now it is, uh, it is a struggle, but it's a fun struggle to figure out what the next shift looks like. Mm. So, I've been planning this my whole life, and I guess like when I started my career, did I have a plan? No, just to be successful and get my own apartment. Now, what is my plan? My plan is to be successful and keep my house, you know, so it's <sighs> me and stay in my house. So, I I have plans, and I have to. I, I think it's it's putting it all together that uh, will
0: be the next is my next shift. Yeah. So I actually put a LinkedIn post out about, I think, two weeks ago about a study um, that was done in, um, recently in a medical journal. And it basically stated that the most productive years of our lives are our 60s and 70s and even 80s. Um, And the reason is, is because once you're not working for everybody else, (laughs) you can actually focus on the things that you've put on the back burner for a long time, like publishing your book, like experiencing certain things that, you know, who knows what could come out of that? You know, the way you start something is you're open minded and who knows what can come out of that? You could end up doing some documentary about the Northern lights, you know, like who knows, (laughs) right. And it becomes award winning and it, you know, it inspires and impacts people because not everybody can travel now. Right. So they can still experience what you experienced in that moment, because your passion is what brings everything to life. And, you know, it's, it's amazing because I didn't realize that. um, And, one of the things about retiring is, you know, that was my whole goal since I started working was all about retirement. And yeah, I, you know, retired from the tech industry, but I am now doing my dream job. Right. And I'm not stopping anytime soon. And I definitely want to write another book and I want to continue this podcast because I really, really believe in providing this platform for, you know, people that can bring their stories to the listeners. And, you know, this is the mindset, I think, opportunity we have to shift is, it doesn't stop, life doesn't stop, and it doesn't just become a playground, like there are other things that we all want to do that we can contribute in different ways that we can volunteer, that we can be on boards that we can, you know, really provide, our uh, creative gifts to the world in a different way than just working for a company or working for someone else. We could start our own business. You know, you've done that as well.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think part of making a shift at any stage is is having is is having a well balanced life where you yeah. have a family life a social life, a work life, and a spiritual life. Whatever mm-hmm. that means to you, spiritual, you have to have one. And if you are, if work is, is the focus of what you're doing, you have an imbalance and you're not seeing and feeling the opportunities that are coming your way. You're just stressed and working that way. Mm-hmm. I, I think when my daughter said, so you only going to spend three less than three and a half hours a day with me? that was a moment where i had to balance my life and put i put it in balance there mm-hmm. because work was the focus at that point and i realized no i got a 4 year old that is the sweetest thing in the world and i'm going to spend my time with her and so that decision was a no brainer and mm-hmm. and i regretted it not one second mm-hmm. and and the re- decision to shift to uh, retirement was also not uh, it was a no brainer in that once I balanced myself and thought through what is how do I balance um, when Pete will tell you I sent him a dear John letter and refers to me divorcing him because you know <laughs> I worked very closely with the community um, but I said I have to do it as much mm-hmm. as I love working there and doing it. I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And and while I'm comfortable making the shift, it is scary. But I think I have balanced my life once again and, and will move forward. So mm-hmm. look for my book on the
0: Northern Lights. Yes, it's so beautiful. <laughs> Maybe even a documentary. Like I can totally picture that. Totally <laughs> picture that. That's awesome. I love it. Pat, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for all of your shares. If there was one kind of like billboard message that you would love to leave the audience with, what would that be?
1: Um, I think the
0: billboard message
1: um, would be to reclaim your sovereignty over your career with knowledge of who you are, what you want to do, and, and look creatively at what your opportunities are, um, and leave failure at the door. I mean, that's a mm-hmm. whole other topic of dealing with failure, but but leave it at the door. And uh, there was, when I was in college, um, my freshman year, I was moving in, and there was a young man who, um, uh, there was a young man who was helping us move in, and my dad said, uh, so you go to college here? He goes, no, I graduated in June, and I, I got to get another job, but I got to get a job. But, I, you know, he says, I don't know what to do. He said, you know, my whole life has been every four years I have a, you know, a new um, landmark. Uh, I, I graduate from eighth grade. I graduate from high school. I graduate from college. He goes, now I got to wait until I retire. I, he said, <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. Well, you know what? He needed to reclaim his sovereignty over his career. He needed to take control, and that's not what he was able to do because, you know, he didn't know how to do it. And mm-hmm. I think that's what Angie and I did with the exploratory lab boot camp that we worked on. Yeah. He gave sovereignty back to the to the student to say, yeah. you have control. And a number of the students I have heard back from, um, and,
0: and we'll have to talk another time about some of the great things that they have done. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, uh, it's been, it's been impressive. I'm in touch with a lot of them as well. It's been really amazing to see. I wish that I had that kind of guidance I know. when I was graduating from college or in college, you know, so crazy. Yeah, you, you know what though? In the end, it is regardless of
1: what guidance you have. Yeah. If, if you, if you just believe in yourself and 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 have the confidence enough. And and here's what I'll leave you with too. I think everybody should read the book, uh, Creative Confidence, by mm-hmm. Tom and, uh, David Kelly. It's called Unleashing the Creative Potential Within Us.
0: Mm-hmm. Read
1: that book. It's a you know it's a quick read. Yeah. Read that book. Read it four yeah. times if you have to. But that's the book that will give you the power to control your career and allow you to see what shifts you can make in your life to give you this passion driven career.
0: Yeah, it's so true. Do you have any other call outs since we're, we're on that path, any other books or organizations um, or products or anything that you would like to share with the listeners? So I, I, I do have uh, another couple of books that um
1: so I'm big on reading memoirs, and they're stories of people who have really do- how they've done things, how they've shifted, how they've made shifts. And one of the most interesting books that, and you never read about it in history, it's called "A Woman of No Importance: The mm-hmm. Untold Story of the American Spy." This is an American woman who went over in World War II and was a spy for Britain. Mm. And it and she ended she she had an amputated leg and the story of her escaping the Nazis and she was the number one target of the Nazis during the French, she was in the French resistance. It is a story of endurance. It's a story that no matter what you're going through, mm. you will understand. This is a real story. Mm-hmm. So this is somebody who really did it. And and the uh, I would also say the other story is open by Andre Agassi.
0: Oh, okay. It, yeah, I have not read that. that.
1: That story again, he's you see him in the public world mm-hmm. and this story shows you the 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 traumatic life he led. Mm. What he over has overcome and why the school in California that he and Steffi Graf support mm-hmm. is so meaningful, and it's mm. real. These are real people coming, um, uh, coming through real things. I mean, mm-hmm. we won't go through half of what these people went through. But mm. you know, I, I have friends. I have friends who. I have a friend who walked in 1956. Walked out of Hungary to avoid being going to re-education camps by the Communists with a six-year-old son in 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 snow up to her shoulders mm. and other ones that swam the Danube to get rid of to get away from the Nazis in World War II and mm. in, in Germany, I have friends who who have done this and you hear their stories and Vietnamese who have you know boat people who are over here and you would never know this about their background because they have overcome such amazing obstacles that mm-hmm. we here in this country. I mean, you know, half of the things that we go through, you know, it, these people don't talk about it because they just did it. They just think, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I did.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: so these stories tell you about people and how they did it. And it's, and it's just, they're both inspirational on, uh, on, on different things. So, um, that's what I. Oh, and if you want good pizza, I will. I will do a shout out to Tournament of Pizza, which is ra- uh, located at the Racket Club of St. Pete, and they have a pizza diet. He apparently is a world uh, known nationally for his pizza diet, and he has breakfast pizza, lunch pizza and dinner pizza. Oh, wow. Really, very good. And he has top shelf liquor in his bar, so I can get Bombay <laughs> Sapphire, which is my other guilty pleasure, and some of the best Greek pizza I have ever tasted. It is
0: delightful. Wow. Yeah. And that's probably a hidden gem because it's inside of the Racket yes. Club, right? So, Yes, yeah. it's look up the Racket Club of ah. St. Pete. It's right at the entrance to Placido
1: Bayou, and it's open to the public and just it's it's a good place to go so that's my my wow. product
0: love it love it pat thank you so much for joining us um I just admire you so much i love your energy and um yeah i I really really feel like the listeners are gonna gain a lot from what you shared with us today so thank you so much i appreciate it
1: well thank you too and and um you are part of my inspiration so uh, part of my uh career shifts and and success so I Thank you for having me.
0: Ah.